Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. You're listening to Oh Behave with the Bearded Behaviorist. Here we consider, discuss, and learn about behavior and the behavior sciences. Here is your host, Brian Middleton. Hello and welcome to OBEHAVE, the podcast exploring behavior analysis and related behavior sciences. I am your host, Brian Middleton, also known as the Bearded Behaviorist. Uh, for the second time, we have our friend Jane uh, Logvinova on as a guest. Uh, we, we had her the last episode talking about the six attitudes and philosophical assumptions of science and behavior analysis. And now we're about to talk about the seven dimensions of applied behavior analysis. Um, Jane is a BCBA who works in Denver, Colorado, as well as being the co-founder of ABA Desk. Welcome, Jane. Hey, nice to nice to be on again. Yeah. Long time no hear or yeah. see. I don't know what to say with that. Actually, anyway, hi. <laughs> We're just fine. Uh, <laughs> So um, just a, a brief snippet since the last episode, we talked a little bit more about ABA Desk. Um, if you want to learn more about ABA Desk, it's a uh, data tracking and um, an analytic software that was created by Jane and her boyfriend uh, specifically for um, behavior analysts. And since Jane is a BCBA, uh, it is one of the better design softwares out there, in my opinion. Oh, thank you. No problem. It's it's also true, uh, in my opinion, at least. Uh, and uh, having, I, I was introduced to it as a special ed teacher, a chance to play with it before I, I left the profession and became a behavior analyst. Um, really enjoyed it. Uh, my company uses different software, not for my efforts to convince them to go to Jane's software. Uh, still working on that. Okay. But, uh, I really like it. I definitely think it's worth uh, checking out. And uh, Jane, can you tell us the website you, that they can find more information? Sure. On? Yeah. So you can learn more at um, www.abadesk.com. So nothing too hard. Nice and easy. Yeah. Fantastic. Just like how it is to use. Yep. That's the way to do it. Um, so, uh, today we're talking, or this next section, I should say, we're talking about the seven dimensions of behavior analysis. Um, a brief introduction, uh, the first edition of the journal of applied behavior analysis acronym JABA, um, it was published in 1968. And these elements were outlined in that first edition by Bear, Wolf and Risley. Um, 
And that has been kind of an influencing factor in behavior analysis since. So um, this is a foundational principle for the science um, and for the application of behavior analysis. And, and so it's um, really important in my opinion. I agree. So um, I guess let's start with uh, the first dimension, which is behavioral. Oh, I have it in a different order. Ooh, you have a different order. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I actually learned a fun little acronym. It's get a cab. Get a cab. Um, get a cab. I literally just learned it yesterday. I didn't know this in grad school. I'm kind of disappointed. Okay. Let's start with get a cab then. We're Get a cab. So can I just say all of them so people know exactly what get a cab means? Yes, apart from like, you know, an outdated Uber, essentially. No offense, cab drivers. Um, so get a cab. G, generality. E, effective. T, technological. A, applied. C, conceptually systematic. That's a short one. A, analytic. And B, behavioral. Okay. I like that. Yay. Definitely going to have to use that one for uh, for remembering because I'm used to using the acronym Bat Cage, but get a cab. That sounds a lot cooler, apart from trapping bats. Well, I, but get a cab is very behavioral, whereas a Bat Cage is just a cage. Like, it's yeah. a, there's no there's no behavior involved with a with the Bat Cage itself. But getting a cab is a behavior, so I like that better. All right, cool. So, All right. start with. Uh, G, generality, um, also known as generalization. That's an AKA, also known and as. And I would say this is probably one of the most important things in that as behavior analysts, when we are kind of figuring out which goals to work on, um, they have to be something kind of meaningful enough that they can use across environments. So generalizing, um, as some of you may know, is being able to, you know, use a skill across people, across environments, across materials. Um, so really kind of having something that one is important to work on and two, something that they can, can they can do outside of sessions ultimately because like yeah it's cool that you know stuff and you can show your therapist that you know it but it's not really meaningful like you know good it's kind of like taking a test the information on the test not usually super useful unless you find a place to apply it unless it can actually help you you know in your life um, and I think that's kind of one of the biggest things that I that I like about this one is it's it has to be important and it has to be kind of usable everywhere yeah so uh, a good example of that is um, with some of the younger kiddos that we work with we do shape and things like that. Um, I tend to, when we're talking about generality, uh, focus on the typical shapes that they're going to interact with. Uh, I'm sorry, math teachers, but trapezoids, not really too concerned about. I, uh, I used to be a math teacher. Those are fighting words. Oh, okay. Well, uh, we're going to have to come to fisticuffs later. But <laughs> um, in, in my opinion, uh, the things that we need to work on in generalizing are the basic shapes, the circles, the squares, the, the, the rectangles, the hexagons, the, the things that they're going to see on a daily basis and truly interact with. Um, and one of my favorite times when I saw generalization occur was with one of my little kids that I was working with. Uh, we went for a walk. And while we were going for a walk, we were talking about things that we were seeing. And then this little girl, she, out of the blue, started seeing the circles that were everywhere and getting excited and saying, Brian, Brian, look, that's a circle. And that's a circle. I'm like, 
many mm-hmm. rectangles and she's like oh my gosh there's rectangles and she, that's fantastic she, she was excited she was jumping up and down for joy at seeing something and her, her mom uh later told me what have you done my child won't stop talking about the shapes that she's seeing and i'm like this is isn't well, it? and she's like that's a good thing and, and and she was joking it was it was it was tongue in cheek yeah um, but she was really excited about the fact that her uh her daughter was seeing new things that were already present and were present every time she interacted with her environment but then mm-hmm. she started seeing it more like she was recognizing it and and that's yeah. that's generalization and that's important I think so too. Yeah. I feel like with generality, I mean, what we're doing, hopefully if we're doing it right is we're giving you more ways to access your world. Yeah. I mean, interact with it more so, um, especially with like shapes, like, yeah, it's cool that we can say them, but also if we get into kind of higher level stuff, like visual spatial skills, like, have you seen all of those memes of like somebody trying to put their luggage, you know, into the, into the top part of the airplane? What is that part uh, called? luggage compartment maybe that makes sense and then the, and then beneath it is the uh the picture of the toys where you're fitting the shapes into this, yeah this is why we learned how to use the shape sorter exactly it's, it's like putting bo- a book back on a bookshelf putting your shoes anywhere hanging something on a hanger those are all shapes some might more be more organic but you still have to understand the form of things in order to do stuff with physical items in a general sense and um, that's actually this is perfect because generalization leads effectively into the e effective oh look at you (laughs) nice effective so basically effective just means that what we're doing has to actually be working working so not only does it have to be socially significant the targets that we're tracking and teaching and the skills that we're trying to help our learners acquire but it actually has to show progress which is why we're always taking data because the the goal you know, of what we're doing is to improve quality of life, you know, to, to provide access to the community, um, to really kind of help people live their fullest lives. Um, in order to do that, we, we have to take data to, to show that what we're doing is, you know what I mean? That what we intended to do is actually what we're doing. Cause I feel like there's always a big gap. It's like when we see kind of old school parenting, right. And they're like, I'm going to punish my child. I hate that word so much, but, um, and, and kind of that way of being where we're just going to punish and punish and punish and punish. And then we're going to hope that it changes behavior. Right. But does it not always. Right. And that's why we take data. I'm not saying to just like implement a bunch of punishment procedures yeah. right now to be clear, but regardless of what we're doing, right. If we're dieting, what data do we take when we diet? We look at the scale, right? We look at the number on the scale. And then the next week we do it again and again. And we see, is the graph, like, is the trend of the line going in the direction we is want it thing to? Happen- is a thing changing that we want to change? And yeah, and is what we're doing kind of causing that change? And as such, we should continue to do that thing. Or if we're not seeing the changes we wanted to see, if actually we're gaining weight by doing the potato diet or whatever, then we'll be like, okay, time to go back to the drawing board and try something yeah, else. And that leads perfectly into the T of get a, get a cab, which is technological. Um, and, Ooh, and technological yes. does not mean it has to be a smart device or have electricity or have a fulcrum and a lever. It means that the procedures are clearly defined and in detail so that they can be replicable. So um, in the earlier podcast, I talked about baking. 
Uh, baking is a perfect example of technological because it's a recipe. It's it's step by step procedures that you make, and you can sh you can alter the procedures gradually and and shift back and forth and 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 test different conditions out. But everyone has to know what those conditions are and what those procedures are. We don't really kind of change it day to day. And usually. if you're constantly flying by the seat of your pants, well, then you're going to have a lot of weddings. Um. <laughs> Mostly, yeah. I think, you know what I call that? Just doing stuff. Just doing stuff. We're just, we're not doing ABA. We're just doing stuff. Um, um, and that's kind of not who we are as behavior analysts. It might look like we're playing a lot of the time, for example, but haha, ha, you're learning because the basis of what we're doing is kind of all the same. We're always going to, you know, reinforce the, the behaviors we want to see, for example, or whatever the interve intervention says, you know, to do. It's broken down so that I can do it. Grandma can do it. Dad can do it. Teacher can do it so that these skills Oh, back to generalization. They exactly. generalize. And a part of that technologicalness goes into our A of get a cab uh, analytical. Um, some some alternate ways of describing uh, analytical would be so AKAs as it were. Oh, actually, applied was the one that I had. Okay, we're going into okay, analytical. Okay, well, we can cool. do applied instead. There's two. No, 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 no. You already got on the ball okay, with analytical. Let's do analytical. So let's do that. Uh, but so other ways of describing yeah. analytical is experimentation, control, uh, as in a control within an experiment, uh, causation, so cause and effect, uh, relational, oh, sorry, functional relationships. So when we're analytical mm -hmm. and we're talking about uh, technological things, part of that is we look at the, uh, we, we keep track and look at data and we consider that data in mm -hmm. relation to um, what we're trying to generalize, the thing that, um, that we're trying to be effective in, in addressing. Yeah. And I think, you know, the major thing we're looking for is, is there a functional relationship between the intervention and the behavior, whether it, the behavior is kind of just getting correct responses with something, which would look like yep. skill acquisition, or maybe we're reducing a behavior or increasing a behavior. Um, and I think, you know, with that, we don't really fly by the seat of our pants. So, you know, kind of going back to, to technological where everyone's doing the same thing. Everyone knows what the procedures are in theory and they are applying that and that they are everyone is teaching it the same exact way. So we know that what we are doing specifically is, you know, hopefully creating that desired change. Um, and that's why we're always tracking. Right. So like an ABA desk everything is data driven. So, you know, you kind of set up your programs, you set your master criteria, all that fun stuff. And then as soon as something is mastered, it'll kind of automatically move on to the next thing. So we're always using that data for something. We don't take data just for the sake of taking data. We should never do that. At that point, it's just added response effort, right? Like we have to track this to make sure that we're, we're still on course. Essentially. So I have actually a perfect example of analytical in relation to something you brought up earlier. Um, uh, mm -hmm. just punishing, uh, punishing procedures, mm -hmm. uh, that, that parents or teachers or other folks will do, um, because that's just the way that it's been done. And so that's what they're going to do. Uh, yeah. I call it old, old school, school, the parenting. old school approach. And, um, I actually mm -hmm. have a fantastic story in relation to that. So I had a peer, um, uh, so when I was a special ed teacher, I was the behavior special ed teacher. Um, I was in charge of working with all the hardest of the hard kids, and I loved it because I didn't see them as a problem. I saw them as people, and that's important. That's a very important attitude to have. Um, but there's this one teacher who came to me for help, and 
when that happens, your day is better because somebody is coming to you for help instead of you having to try to correct them. You don't want to be a that person. So he came. Yeah. You don't want to take a red pen to their existence. When they come to me for help, exactly. I do cartwheels. Uh, figuratively for me, because I'm half deaf. And so I just tip over. It's kind of my equilibrium. Um, That's but okay. uh, so he came to me for help. He asked me uh, for help. And I said, can I do something real quick before I, I try helping you? And he said, what? And I said, can I just kind of sit in the class and watch for a little bit? And because I don't want to make suggestions and, and, and suggest that mm-hmm. you do something that you're already doing. I don't want, I don't want you to feel like I'm talking down to you and I need to see what's going on. And so I went into the classroom and um, we came up with a fun little explanation. I was uh, the principal. The explanation was the principal wanted me to sit in on the class because I'm learning to be a better teacher. So it made, it, it talked up the teacher. It was really nice. Uh, and and I really enjoyed listening to the class because he was teaching history. Um, and I love history. So sitting in the class, I'm sitting there kind of with my computer, looking busy, kind of listening in. And out of the corner of my eye, watching what's happening in the interactions between this kid and this teacher. And um, I noticed that the teacher was using a lot of, of he was attempting to um, use punishment procedures, uh, it, from his perspective at least. And what it was really doing was giving the kid attention and reinforcing the kid. But the teacher was also giving more attention to the appropriate behaviors. So he was doing something really awesome. And he was just making one small mistake, which was too much mm-hmm. to the uh, antisocial behaviors that, that he was struggling with in the classroom. And so afterwards, after I got a, a, a significant enough amount of data, I was able to sit down with him and say, what if you tried this instead, where instead of attending to this kid, anytime he made a snarky remark, you just kind of ignored it and move along. Um, and then every time the kid was doing anything remotely right, you can doing what you were supposed to do, mm-hmm. which you, by the way, were doing fantastic because a lot of people struggle with this of attending to that appropriate behavior. Mm-hmm. The teacher differential exactly. reinforcement and so <laughs> in in aba terminology uh the not attending to the inappropriate behavior uh is called extinction um which a lot of people there's a lot of fictions around it but to put it simply we're going to have a whole episode on extinction but yeah as long as it's attention maintained, maintained. <laughs> exactly. otherwise you're just doing uh, stuff. but in this particular case he was withholding reinforcement for that behavior is, is what was going on. But it wasn't just extinction because you don't want to ignore the kid. It was differential reinforcement. Differential reinforcement being while one thing is not receiving reinforcement, the other thing is receiving more reinforcement. Um, and the teacher uh, reported to me uh, a major attitude shift within three days. Um, at the end of that semester, that teacher received a thank you note from the kid saying that he was really grateful to have him as a teacher and that he is one of his favorite teachers and that that teacher brought it to me and was like oh my gosh brian this is amazing and i'm like yes it is amazing this is fantastic this is wonderful congratulations thank you for being an amazing teacher because it was on him he was the one who was willing to implement those procedures and changes 
and it shifted everything. And that's why being analytical is so important because if you don't analyze the data, I I could have just said, well, you need to do this. And the teacher then probably would have felt frustrated and would not have known what he could or could not have done. And the relationship would not have changed. And I feel like that's a socially significant interaction, both for the teacher, because the teacher then learned not only how to interact with that kid, but now has a skill set to be able to work with other kids who have, may have a very similar function to the behavior. Um, but also that means that that kid is going to be moving forward in life and will be able to reflect back to this teacher and think to himself, that was a good experience and a negative relationship shifted to a positive relationship because the teacher took a bit a different approach. Yeah. And I think that that really, that analytic piece really just kind of helps us see the difference between intention and exactly. actual results. So um, moving along, the the C in get a cab. That's mm-hmm. conceptual, conceptually systematic. So I think I may have jumped the gun there a little bit because I described a little bit of conceptual systematicness with how I approached that situation with the the teacher and his student. Um, But basically all procedures used should be tied to basic principles of behavior analysis from which they're derived is, is where we're going with that. So everything we do should be evidence-based and more so from an ethical standpoint within our scopes as well. So yes, it might be evidence-based, but it's, I don't know, a cancer treatment or something like that. This is something so unrelated to to what we do as behavior analysts. It has to be something that we're kind of trained to do. Exactly. Um, but more so the, the evidence, like the, the, the literature has to be there to back what we're doing. Because otherwise, again, well, and, then we're and just doing stuff. Along those lines, um, this also dabbles briefly into ethics within our scope of practice practice is important too, because um, I love learning about neurology and I love learning learning about uh, pharmacology and how that relates. But when I'm talking with somebody about behaviors and those sorts of things, I am not going to be talking about the pharma- pharmacological things that are going to affect somebody. Um, I'm going to refer them to a medical doctor or a psychiatrist or somebody who has the, the training within their scope of practice. Because mm-hmm. exactly. also don't sting in your lane. <laughs> now, will there come a day perhaps when I have that licensing? Who knows? We'll see. But then again, that will shift the way that my practice will operate. Um, I'm focusing on being systematically, mm-hmm. sorry, conceptually systematic with my procedures. And when people ask me questions about, because I, I am a neurodiverse individual, uh, I am autistic. Um, when people ask me about those sorts of things, I say, I don't diagnose. That's not my job. Uh, I can refer you to people who are mm-hmm. interested in diagnosing, but I'm most concerned about the functions of behavior uh, and how to help individuals to change socially significant behaviors. Exactly. And I've actually come across a lot of that. And I'm just like, well, I can't. Like, I'm here to work on the behavior regardless of diagnosis. Exactly. Behavior is behavior regardless of kind of what label we put on it. There might be some like useful tidbits and knowing a little bit about the diagnosis, but it, it's not really 
ours to yeah. really do much with. We don't we don't diagnose. We don't do any of that. We just kind of deal with behaviors because that's and, what our job is, honestly. And in the and previous episode, uh, not the episode, the first episode with Ryan Sane of, of Psychcore, um, we talked about ontogeny and phylogeny, um, basically uh, genetics versus learning history. Uh, and, and so uh, understanding like this relates to another one of my passions, understanding the neurodiversity community and that sort of thing, understanding how one's makeup will, will influence one's decisions when it comes to those sorts of things. But mm -hmm. again, what we're most concerned with is socially significant behaviors and helping those individuals or to address those socially significant behaviors by uh, reducing behaviors that harm themselves and those around them while increasing behaviors that enable them to make significant life changes and significant being that individual has their own choice that will to Yes, them. significant to them specifically, not what we think they should be doing, not what mom or dad thinks that they should be doing. And yes, that might have, you know, some say in it, but ultimately it is it is about this little or big person. Yeah. I guess it depends on if you're working with adults or kiddos, um, but it really, you know, it's what's going to make their life better, right? In in their existing, you know, community with, you know, their supports, with their friends, with their families, with their schools, etc. What's really going to exactly. help them succeed and thrive? So there you go. That's conceptually systematic. Um, now we get to flip flop again. So we already mm -hmm. took, uh, took care of it analytical. Mm -hmm. um, now we're going into applied. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I feel like We've a lot of that is already something we've talked about, right? So it's just kind of saying working, you know, on, you know, working on things with real people and real skills that matter. We're not just kind of working in a lab. We're not doing theoretical behavior analysis. This is applied. We are actually using it and we're using it in the real world. You know, we're not in a lab, you know, we're not just kind of probing things and then they go away and it doesn't really matter what happens to them, right? Because we've got our pretty yeah. little graphs and we get our research. No, what we're doing is actually creating exactly. changes in people's lives. Um, and I think that's something that we should really, really and, focus um, on. And, and so that is a, a governing factor and, and one of those dimensions that, that we've discussed ad nauseum, I suppose you could say, although I don't really think it's nauseum. I'm not feeling nauseous mm -hmm. about it. I love that the keep being reminded that we want to make sure that this is applicable to the, the lives of the people that we are, are here to help and support, whether that, that help and support be somebody mm -hmm. um, with special needs or whether that support be, uh, I'm really excited for the upcoming episode um, with uh, with Clint Evans, uh, a behavior chef. Uh, oh, awesome. Guess awesome. who just signed up for ABA Desk this week? Clint. Yeah, I'm, I'm really stoked but, about that. So, um, so yeah, Clint anyway, uh, <laughs> talks about uh and his, his his business partner Tony will be coming on and talking about um, how behavior analysis applies to nutrition, to exercise, to all these different things, but specifically how the different concepts and core components of behavior apply there. So behavior analysis is not just applicable it. to uh, a lot of times people think ABA, they think autism, uh, right? Autism spectrum specifically really that's mm -hmm. no that it's it's um it's 
yeah, it doesn't even have to happen on an individual exists. level. Um, the, the definition of behavior is anything that a living being emits. And so behavior analysis applies to all living beings. Uh, and so that. Mm-hmm. And behavior is not just bad behavior. Oh, yeah. I feel like that's the only time we really hear the word behavior is when someone's like misbehaving. I hate that word. Um, but really it's just anything yeah. you can do, including eating. Uh, so I think that's, it's really awesome that we're kind of, you know, taking yeah. up or not and by we, I mean, Clint and his partner, um, you know, are taking a behavior analytic approach because you know, it works. It works. <laughs> it works ultimately. I think that's it, right? If you want to create meaningful change. You might and so that brings us to the last one, the B behavioral. Um, <laughs> So we're talking observable events. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Observable and measurable. Exactly. You can't take that is, data that on is it, important. Is um, and to kind of refer back to um, the podcast with Ryan Sane. Um, so we are radical behaviorists. Radical meaning uh, that we are totally bodacious dude. Uh, wild yeah but not all, all joking aside and references to bill and ted um so the reason why we're radical is because prior to radical behaviorists were methodological behaviors and methodological behaviorists um insisted that the only things that count as behaviors are things that are directly observable um and while we focus on behavioral as radical behaviors in observable things. We still acknowledge that private events, um, emotions, thoughts, feelings, those are also behaviors. Mm-hmm. It's just that the individual, that it, the thing that's important is that with private events is that it's observable by an audience of one, the person who is thinking, feeling, and and uh, and cons- and considering those things, um, and behavior analysis can and does apply to those as well. Um, the trick is teaching the individual how to um, apply these tools to themselves. Yes, and I think that's where exactly. you know self monitoring is and, kind of a um, big thing. In, in all honesty, when I was a special ed teacher. Um, because I had minimal control over, uh, my, uh, uh, minimal control over the environment because I wanted my students to be in the general classroom. I wanted them out there. I focused predominantly on those self-management skills, teaching them how to track and see what's going on and creating conditions wherewith those kids were reinforced for making social significant pro-social decisions and um then not attending to or finding alternatives to those antisocial socially significant decisions uh sorry behaviors um i'm gonna make one little correction if that's okay okay yeah just in that like a person cannot be reinforced um it's the behavior itself unless Reinforcing a person just means oh, continuing okay. to give them sustenance so that they continue living, <laughs> living behavior, I guess. We're going to keep it yes, that. Yes, so, sorry, you're um, right. Not, not reinforcing anyway. the person, but reinforcing the socially significant behaviors. Um, but basically building skill sets so that um, ultimately, so I was a middle school teacher. Ultimately, I looked at middle school as being the preparing ground for high school. And um, high school is hell. 
<laughs> it's hard and it's, it's hard for many things, including hormonal changes yeah. and, and, uh, peer pressure and all those other environmental factors that are both internal and external that are going on. Growing up is just, it's not easy. Um, but my goal was always to equip my kiddos with the tools that they could use to be successful. And, um, I'm hoping I'm successful. I've got more than a few of them who've reached out to me and thanked me. So that makes me very happy. Um, but, uh, that's, that's, that's awesome. ultimately the goal of behavior analysis is to equip the individuals that we're applying our, our science to, including ourselves, um, with the tools necessary to be able to make those important changes. Yes, yes. Uh, all back to generality. Back to generality so, right? uh, I like how get a cab is, uh, I like that acronym better. I think I think I'm gonna I think I'm gonna uh, use that as my primary acronym, despite Batcage sounding kind of fun. Well, how about we do a flip? I was gonna say floppy, I might okay? convert to Batcage. All right. We can um, flip so Let's do it. There you go. That's seven the seven dimensions of applied behavior analysis. Um, we did a thing. <laughs> we did um, a thing. Folks, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, this episode is sponsored by uh, ABA Desk, and I really recommend you check it out. Um, Jane, you do some fantastic blog posts. I mentioned in the last episode, uh, and, and I know you said that they're just doodles, but doodles are fun, and uh, that's the way to do it. So uh, check out um, ABA Desk's blog post. It's blog.abadesk.com, correct? Yep, that's for the blog. And then if you wanted to um, give our data collection system a chance, then you would just go to abadesk.com and everything you need start to finish is there. Perfect. You actually sign and then, of course, on the uh, check out ABA Desk easy. on Instagram and Facebook. And are you guys on Twitter too? Hardly? Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm less mm, on Twitter hardly. as well, but I am on Twitter occasionally. So I should probably do more about that. It's just hasn't yeah, been reinforcing you know, enough. For Twitter me, verse is kind of its own verse. So there you go. Um, okay. Well, folks, this has been O Behave. Thank you very much for joining us. And uh, keep in mind, behave as in behavior can apply to anything a living being does. So O Behave. <laughs>